Don't lose your place. <clears throat> so, um, the scene before this is when he calms the storm. And in the um, Gospel of Mark, it, it talks about the calming of the storm as well. So they went over to the other side. There was a storm. And um, it's a big lake. Uh, and um, and he calmed the storm, so they were amazed. But now it's it, that was at night. And so in the day, early day, they arrived to the other side, and we're going to see that scene. But before we see the scene, we'll let we'll we'll finish the little last little bit here. When they landed, the large crowds the disciples had grown used to on their side were absent. Their reception committee was a single, deranged, tormented, tomb-dwelling, self-mutilating demoniac so disruptive that he had been thrown out of his own community. He fell on his knees before Jesus. What do you want with me? In God's name, don't torture me! Jesus asked the evil spirit, What is your name? And their response was, Legion, for we are many. Legion is a loaded word in this story. There was a legion of foreign soldiers, and this was where they lived. That word is a remainder, is a reminder of enemies all around. The spirits asked to be sent into pigs, which then rushed to their destruction. Now, any Israelite would think of the story recorded in 1 Maccabees, how Jewish Really? Yeah, that was, the Jews were very familiar with one Maccabees. How Jewish patriots were forced by Rome to eat the flesh of pigs, and when they resisted, they were slaughtered. So the pig is also the symbol of Roman power of the legion, and the tormented man was delivered from the legion. The people's response was fascinating. We are told that those tending the pigs ran off and reported the man's deliverance widely. The people on the other side came over to see what had happened. They saw the crazed man dressed and in his right mind. They didn't respond to the miracle like those in Galilee or Jerusalem. They didn't start bringing Jesus their sick children or crippled friends. They begged him to go away. Why? Okay, hold on. Because he had power, but he wasn't one of them. He was from the wrong side and he might use his power to hurt them. All right, so don't go away. We're going to finish off. Okay, so let's let's hit it. You got you have the control, Michael? Or yeah, go this ahead. It's very orchestrated, Rand. This is incredibly orchestrated. to go. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, who up to now had been telling everyone, follow me, said no. He said, go tell your story. Keep on. Imagine this man's feeling when that boat rode away and he wasn't in it. But he did what Jesus asked. He told people in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. All right, <clears throat> now keep going. 
because it hasn't got to the punchline yet. Oh. Here's the rest of the story. Jesus returned to Decapolis a short time later. This time, great crowds came to see him. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. In other words, the seven nations of Canaan were praising the God of Israel. The first time Jesus went over to the other side, nobody was home except for one pathetic wretch. The second time he came, it was one of the most dramatic responses in all of the New Testament. People were more receptive to Jesus here than any other place he had ever gone. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> like I talked about, the remember the woman in the crowd that touched touched him. I think that's who he's referring to. I'm not 100 percent sure. That's in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. But uh, <clears throat> and the next scene after this is them uh, him feeding the four thousand. But I won't uh, I won't torture you with. Um, uh, uh, the the quality of the movie, uh, but he does feed the four thousand with two fish and five loaves, and so on and so forth. So, uh, <clears throat> the point of this, and you you can go ahead and at least turn off the screen, just in case somebody wants to see the feeding. But no, you can you can stop it. So he goes in the enemy territory. He goes a place that his followers don't want to go. And by the way, none of the rabbis, none of the religious people, none of the preachers of the time would go to the other side. They were persona non grata. They were, um, they, they just didn't preach there, plain, plain and simple. And I don't know. I guess. I'm not even sure. So Jesus not only dropped a bomb on his disciples, he dropped a bomb in the middle of this, or on the edge of this Decapolis, where they, they didn't have people come and preach to them. They were the worst of the worst. The, they didn't believe in God and none of that kind of stuff. They worship idols and all this stuff. So, <clears throat> the first missionary recorded, arguably recorded in biblical history, was this demonic man. Right? says, no, you're not coming with us. Yes, I know. When we go back on the other side, we've, we're going to have our church. We're all going to get together. We're going to gather up, and, and uh, we're going to break bread together. And that's, it's, you'd love to go there. But I want you to go back and testify to your folks and all those folks there without me there to go tell them what's happened, what I did. Even though, Joe, and I see your, your forehead furling, or your eyebrows furling, <clears throat> and the creases in your forehead, you're going to wait a minute now. Even though they told him, don't come back here. Take your magic tricks and go somewhere else. So he did. Took his magic tricks and went somewhere else. But he sent the missionary on to testify in his name. It wasn't Jesus, it was the demonic man. So, <clears throat> but he came back. And he came back 
and they couldn't wait as Nancy was reading, and you can read it. I've got the scriptures uh, labeled there for you. Uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark, it starts at 4, and chapter 4 goes to chapter 5, and goes all the way to chapter 8. And, oh, yeah, all the way through chapter 8. And he tells the story. And so all these people come, and they want to know, find out this Jesus, and they want to touch his garment, and they want to be healed, and they want to hear what his message is. So why in the world am I taking this stretch to connect this dot to a healthy church? Just roll that around in your head. We'll come back to it in the end, and you, you're going to tell me, hopefully, why I did that. So, and by the way, just for the sake of everybody, that comes from the book, who is this man, The Unpredictable Impact of the Inescapable Jesus by John Ortberg. So as I was talking to Kendall over the last few weeks about doing this, this series, uh, uh, a lot of it is this whole description or this whole idea is and this whole thinking and it's available for all your input, is what makes a healthy church, how to find a healthy church, um, and I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't have all the answers, but most of them. Yes, I say that boldly, because I got most of my answers from scriptures. So I feel um, I'm on safe ground, all right? And I've done a lot of study in this, more study than a normal Christian person should do. For many years, many, many years. I've read lots of books, and I've written a number of papers, sent out papers, uh, and done teaching on this before. But I put a little different twist this time just for you guys. So you would appreciate it even the more. So the first thing, I guess technically the second thing, is to try to come up with what is a church. We'll spend a little time on what a church is. Any ideas before you read the, the cheat sheet? Yes, Karen. A bunch of people coming together. Yes, a bunch of people coming together to come and fellowship, worship, and study the Word of God. And they also have to declare that they're a church. They have to declare that they're a church. Yeah. All right. So we'll keep that in mind. That's what makes, that's the difference between remedy. That's the reason why remedy is ah, not a church. I see where you're going with mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, you hooked me on that one. All right. Anybody else? Any additions or subtractions? Or we're not going to argue about this, but yeah, Joe. I never thought it had to be a lot of people. Thought it could be two or more, and it's about coming together to glorify God. That was pretty much what I was thinking. Okay. Where two or more are gathered 
in my name, what is there? I am there also. But does that necessarily make it a church? Grant? Well, for example, it, you, you can create you can't, you can't people to follow Christ and bring them and create, and create a fellowship together for, for, for God and for, a.k.a. Jesus. Okay, you can bring non-Christians, is that what you're saying? Or just bring Christians? Bring non-Christians, bring non-Christians and, and, and transfer them and, and let them learn about Jesus. Okay, is is he right? So you bring non-Christians to a gathering of, of believers and Christians. You could. Um, wouldn't it be that they have to all agree on the same theological principles? What did you say? <laughs> Michael turned around. <laughs> He's ready. Somebody said no. Kendall said no. Okay, wow, we're coming up with some good stuff here. You want to give it a go? Um, yeah, yes, please. I think Kendall does. Yeah. Please. Okay. <laughs> she took the microphone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I would add that the church is not just a physical building, but rather the, the, the group of people. So it's a group of, as Garrett was saying, a group of people gathered for the purpose of um, all of the things that he's already said. And um, I would add only that they should, they're a group of people that have a multitude of gifts and are cover a multitude of different ages. That way they can grow and love and serve one another in different ways. Whereas here, like here at Remedy, that's another difference is here at Remedy, we only have a small age group. Where that's part of why we're not a full church because a full church includes all ages. Okay. What, makes, what makes that different from a club? What makes it different? community group of different individuals together they're focused on serving the Lord. You, oh she, she, oh she connected, oh, okay. she connected what garrett said for purposes of worship yeah. fellowship and study okay anybody else i, I got you already buddy Oop, we're going to add something garrett's adding also the purpose of the great commission to spread God's word. Okay. Including the Great Commission in there. Good stuff. All right. Who else? Jacob? Do you have anything there? Oh, no. Oh. Why are you sitting down? I don't know. I like you walk around. Yeah, this. You're getting your steps in. Yes. All right. I would also add that, uh, in a way, there's two defini definitions of church. Rand and I like to call it little C and big C. We have the local church, which is a local body of believers. Um, and then there's the universal church, which makes up, uh, it's, it's the total of all the local bodies. And that is the universal church, or the big C, to throw another where, where do denominations come into this? I haven't heard that come up. The different slices and flavors. Randall, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's what our friend Michael was alluding to when he said the same 
Is that what you were thinking about? Okay. Yeah, I haven't. I I haven't actually heard anybody say anything about Jesus yet, or did I miss that? Yeah, it was implied. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, that's that's all right. We'll move on. If you, we'll, there'll be plenty of time to chime in. Colin. Yeah. Anything, Colin? I I walked back there. A church calling. One word. Come on in, buddy. I'm not putting you on the spot. I just want to put you out front and in the center. It's all right. So, how about I'm going to weigh in? And I again, I've given you plenty of notes here. Oh my gosh! All right, so. I, d I don't know what that means. Hey. Oh, weighing in? Oh, jeez. Um, a place where faithful believers meet with their Lord. A church is a sacred place for the worship of God. That's just to start us off. That's, not, that's the beginning, not an end. I mean, you could write pages and pages, and pages and pages and books have been written about the answer to the question, what is a church? Here's one for you. The body and espoused bride. What does your note say? I said espoused. What's espoused mean? Adopted and... You're connected. You're you're brought into it. You're sort of adopted. I looked it up. Um, espouse is a word that's not used very much. You have a little bit of a covenant there, and there's an agreement made. The body and espouse bride of Christ is a spiritual organism made up of all born again persons. Now there's some scripture back up to that. Ephesians one twenty two and twenty three. Ephesians five. 25 through 27, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, and 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Okay, those are again notes that you can look up um, when you get home. Is there one in particular we should look up? Um, I would think it, all of them are good. Um, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, that might be a good one if somebody wants to look that up. And um, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, if someone wants to look that up. 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay, this shows a unity and a variety of the members. Which And what was that? That was in Corinthians? That's 1 Corinthians 12. Anybody have Ephesians 1? 1? 
things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, that basically that puts Jesus as the head of the church, the leader. So, a local church, the small c, as Nancy put it, is a body of men and women who have been saved, and I would say men and women and children, who have been saved and called by God to serve in a specific area. It's the body of Christ, the saved multitudes from every nation. Now, we just transcended from the little c to the big c. Everybody's heard the word ecclesia, correct? Maybe yes, maybe no. Now I just gave you the definition and what it means in the Greek. Ek, out of, klesis, a calling. Out of a calling. In the Hebrew Bible, it designates a gathering or a, um, what did I put there, uh, um, an assembly if you want to get real specific. So people who are called, think believers, into a gathering or an assembly. I guess remedy fit into that. Doesn't have an age, right? Doesn't even say it has to be male or female. But again, that's just part of it. It's, it's a gathering. That's where you get the word congregation. Uh, the, the more English version of that ecclesia, ecclesia is congregation. Uh, a company consisting of professed believers, or as we like to call it in Christianity, a flock. Right? Some people do. I like to call it a flock. Now, this brings up the point that Grant brought up. Where do non-believers come into this? Okay, because everything we've been talking about so far that I've written and taken from other much smarter people than me and straight out of the Bible, they're talking about believers, people that are called, people that have been saved, So where do non-believers fit into that? Anybody want to give a give a shot while somebody looks up Acts twenty twenty eight? You do. All right. If you let let me. I've got the Bible verse. Yes, I want you to say the Bible verse. Therefore, take heed of yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. There's a flock. So, Joe, you're going to answer that question? Oh, that was Michael. Um, where, do, where do non-believers come into this? If... We go further down. If 
if it's members, if it's the faithful members of a, f a flock or become a flock that gather around, that are called, and we're, as Garrett said, we're worshiping. Okay, we're, there's fellowship. We're all, everybody's getting along. Common beliefs. There's a unity, as we read in 1 Corinthians. There's a common faith. So if somebody comes from the outside and walks into that, those doors, or wherever the gathering is, we haven't even got into the structure. Hey, Christians used to meet in catacombs early on. Everybody know what a catacomb is? A cave? Yes. Yes, a special kind. They, they were like, that was the cemetery a lot of times for. They're empty. They're all carved out. So if it's God's holy people who are coming, and as it says in Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The house of God. The household of God. Saints. Members. Maybe even a club. A Christian club. Ooh, that doesn't sound right, though, does it? <laughs> and then there's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Apostle Paul saying, You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and structure of the truth. So let me just pause there, and I'll go back to that question. I won't necessarily answer it all right now. But we have to think this through. If only believers are invited to church, it brings up a dichotomy, does it not? What, it's when and where faithful believers meet with their Lord? In a Christian sense, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship. Yes. I didn't, it's pretty much what Garrett already said and what's already been said. Um, so, if, it's, if you're called, think Ecclesia, to gather, and it's these for a sacred get-together, to fellowship, to worship. And there's plenty of, of verses. We're not going to go through every single verse. Uh, again, it's striking, I would suggest, that it doesn't seem to leave room, at least so far, doesn't leave room for non-believers to come in. So wrestle with this. I don't, I don't want to give my answers right now. I want you guys to wrestle that, a little bit. But is that going to be made more clear as we go on? Oh, we'll, we'll crystallize everything. It'll be crystal clear. Like crystal Pokemon? Yeah, you said you don't have all the answers. That's true. How can you crystallize everything? I said I'd crystallize this. You said everything. I did say everything? Okay, you got me on that. What the? I have to go back and listen. You're listening. That's good. Okay, 
I'll give, I'll give a strong hint, and this is, this is my opinion, and we'll search some of the scriptures here, all right? So I'm qualifying stuff that is coming from me and not necessarily the scriptures, and then we can go back to the scriptures and see what they say. But none of the things that we've studied so far have said anything about that anybody's necessarily and are automatically excluded. Use some of your math logic, right? If, if it's Christians or, excuse me, if it's believers that are coming and gathering, so far we haven't read anything that it, that, it doesn't, it doesn't exclude anybody yet. Exactly. So you can't, you can't assume, not that anybody was, that non-believers are not welcome to come there. But I would suggest to you that most people, anywhere in the world you go, know that when you walk into a Christian gathering, church, service, Ecclesia, they pretty much got it already figured out. Their answer is, these, these people all believe in this Jesus Christ. I may not, but they all do. That's why they're gathered here, typically on Sundays. Okay? So it's not like it's out of the ordinary or it's, um, or it's this great mystery that's going on. It's where Christ followers and believers gather to worship and to fellowship. And as somebody else, somebody else said or added, to figure a way to come up with ways, and we'll get into this a little bit later, to reach out to others. Okay? But it doesn't, it, it's not exclusive. It's not excluding anybody in the process. In other words, they, I would suggest that people could come to any Christian gathering of any denomination anywhere in the world. Now, they could be offended by what they hear, but I don't think they're going to get locked out unless they're carrying a, a bomb with them. There could be problems there. There could be problems there. You were right. There is a dress code in some churches. But they're not going to bar them from the door. They may ask them to wear a suit to come in the next time. So, just wrestle around with that. Think about that. We'll see if we can crystallize it as we go a little bit further. Now, I'll tell you something. Oh, and this is another, as I go through this, this will be another of my uh, disclaimers. I, you know, we, we, we could do an eight-week study on this easily. And I have all the materials ready to go. I have it in my head ready to go. I don't need all the materials but to put them in print for you. But I don't think anybody's going to want to come. <laughs> you will. All right. Um, Maybe we, we could do it on the side. We could do it. Uh, we could do small group. We could do guys group. We could do, we, we could do that. Or if everybody here wanted to, we 
I, I suppose we could. Maybe in the month of meat we could have people teaching on what makes a healthy church. It would be interesting to have pastors come and teach on what they believe a healthy church is. Wouldn't that be interesting? We'd all be taking our notes on that one. Um, that might be very interesting. That would be very... Well, that'd be kind of putting them on the spot, though. Would that be fair? Yeah. You don't tell them that you're yeah. inviting everybody else. Well, no, I would tell them there's going to be other pastors coming. Um, hmm, that's, that's food for thought right there. Would he do it? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think any pastor would turn down that that challenge if it if it's a challenge. But again, my disclaimer is not only would it take a long time, and there's so much to it is that I, I don't want to get into the difference, as was taught to us last May, uh, by pastor from Lighthouse, Wade, about the difference between doctrine and dogma. Because it can get very convoluted. There is, as you all well know, some disagreements in the church, the local. Both. <laughs> But mainly Big C, especially if you're talking denominations, about um, lots of things. And we'll, we'll be touching on those. But I, I really purposely want to steer clear of that. Not that I'm afraid of controversy. Not that I'm afraid of um, hard discussions or debate. I just don't think it's fair or I don't think it's productive. I don't think it's going to accomplish a lot to get into all the nuances and the differences between congregations. Uh, because quite frankly, the Bible doesn't. It doesn't get into that debate. People on the other side of history, uh, on you know, going forward, have gotten into that debate. And they've picked it apart. I, I don't want to be, I don't think it's good for you guys, for, for all of us to sit here and pick it apart because it's already been picked apart and still they're discussing it hundreds of years later. I guess you could say even thousands of years later. So we don't need to get into that. What I try to do, and I've posted up on that bulletin board right there numerous times, um, like I think seven keys to what a healthy church is. If you're looking for a church, there are seven things that I think would any... It's not there right now. Okay. I try to keep it cleaned off. Nobody was looking at it anyway uh, because everybody was already settled in on what church they wanted. Um, not, not true. But anyway, um, what I had up there and what I will make available to you, if you wish, uh, are those things. And, and it's not real long. It's just the short, like, seven points. And I don't think any pastor, I don't think any elder, I don't think any theologian, uh, any seminary or Bible instructor would debate any of those things. They'd all say, yeah, got to have that. Yep, that's, that's a no-brainer. Oh, for sure. You, you can't exclude that. That has to be included. So everybody would go along with those. Okay, but it's how you sort those things out and how you go about putting those things into action where some of the debate might come in. Okay, but we don't need to get in. We, we can pick up those debates at different studies at later times. I just want to be helpful in the study to help you guys figure it out because your generation is one that really questions a lot of this stuff. 
generation before my generation kind of went along with whatever their parents did. My generation, generally speaking, went along with what their parents did, but they questioned it a bit and settled into their own righteous way of where they wanted to go. I'm, I'm generally speaking. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in general terms. A lot of people went along uh, with, with, no, not like me. Uh, I questioned everything. I'm, I'm the big skeptic. And I can tell you a lot of things that, that I think a healthy church is not. And we'll touch on a few of those things. But, but not a lot. Again, for the sake of not entering into a lot of controversy that will just mire us down and muddle the whole, the whole study. But I tell you what Rick Warren has to say. Everybody's heard of Rick Warren, right? Now, he said this not in one of his books. He, he wrote this in the foreword for an Irwin McManus book. That book is called, is a, one I would recommend, An Unstoppable Force, Daring to Become the Church God Had in Mind. Ooh, The Unstoppable Force. I really liked the book, and Nancy did too. I didn't read this one. Oh, you read some other ones. Anyway, here's what Rick Warren said. For 25 years, I've taught pastors that the church is a body, not a business. It is an organism not an organization. It is a family to be loved, not a machine to be engineered, and not a company to be managed. Pastoring is an art. It has nothing to do with being a CEO. It's all about servanthood and authenticity and taking risks of faith. And I think most everybody in here, um, we went through that servant leadership class a lot of you guys did so we learned a lot about those kind of things so let's touch on a little bit of church history and then we'll break it down to what the church is now the church in the future and um, what the basic needs of a church is and then I think we'll be out of time in fact I'm sure we'll be out of time yeah so church history <laughs> oh I'm sorry the microphone's still on. Uh, Nancy's hilarious. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary. Think building. For there was a tabernacle prepared. This is called the holy place. Lateria. Latria, I should say. Only the priest entered the tabernacle, and only the high priest entered the Holy of Holies. Verse 11, in, again in Hebrews. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place, the latria, and once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Verse 15, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions, oh, I didn't put the emphasis right, so that since death has taken place for the redemption of the transgression. So what this is talking about is the difference going from 
Old Testament to New Testament. It continues on in chapter 10 in Hebrews, and that's Hebrews 10, 19 through 24, and I'm reading these just to make it go a little faster. So in chapter 10, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, the tabernacle, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remissions of sins. That's the New Testament, in essence. And let us, verse 24, I'm skipping to verse 24, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Right? Getting together. Fellowship. Stimulate each other to love and good deeds. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So basically, you can read the whole book of Hebrews. And it'll give you a breakdown, for the most part, of going from Old Testament to New Testament, Testament theology. Okay? And that's essentially what we've done. The history would be the Jewish Israelites going to the temple, having the Levites as priests, and they would be the ones to go into the t tabernacle, into the temple and animals would be sacrificed for sins. And I guess pretty much that was a form of worship, right? But with Jesus, he's our high priest, right? And we become part of that priesthood. And now because of his death and his resurrection and the remission of our sins, now we can enter the quote-unquote tabernacle. It's a new way of doing church. So that was just going back into church history really quick, <laughs> you know, and saying that the way it used to be done in the Judeo-Christian way of doing church was not the way we do it now. The purpose of gathering and assembling ourselves is, as Garrett pointed out, is for mutual encouragement building each other up and what's that famous christian word that everybody uses on a day-to-day -day basis exhorting exhortation we exhort each other exhort that's what we're he's joking we don't use it oh. yeah it it a spell check would come up it would redline it would redline it wouldn't like exhort that is what we're, we do today. That's the church today. The church now is, uh, is brought together, and some would argue this, by a sense of oneness. We, we read some scriptures, 1 Corinthians, because Christ broke down the barriers. He broke it down by gender, by race, and I would add by age, by our background, whatever ge geography, whatever country we live in, it's all broken down. And we become united. You guys have heard me talk about stories of going to Africa. If you've ever gone to another country and you see believers for the first time uh, from another country, 
It's just like your family. It's just this warm, fuzzy feeling. It's like, I don't know these people. I've never seen these people. They're very different than me, but we're alike in so many ways. It's just a terrific feeling. And that's that unity in the body of Christ. You just can't separate it. That's the oneness. So, that oneness is manifested, there's another Christian word for you, in what areas? Loving each other. All Christians get along and love each other, right? Hey, we're imperfect. Okay, get off that one. Um, we come together through community. Remedy is like a community, right? And here's one that we don't use. It is a small one right now, that's for sure. Um, here's one that doesn't come up very often and doesn't get preached on. We're gathered together and united together with confession. There's not a whole lot of confession that goes on in the church, but it's supposed to be. And then, of course, contribution, the giving. And I think people do that for the most part. Well, I don't know if they give it, con contribute for the most part, but they, but they do. You guys do a lot in your churches, um, and uh, people give to keep that's churches whole, going. That's a whole other discussion and teaching on um, all of that. On the. But we're just touching on what makes a church. This is this is just the beginning. This is just touching on what a church is. So I want to touch on the church in the future. And it's very simple. The establishment and continuance of local churches is clearly taught and defined in the New Testaments. Can somebody look up Acts fourteen twenty seven? Fourteen twenty seven. And maybe somebody could look up um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Okay. Somebody has Acts 4.27? All right, going over here. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God ha had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles When it all gathered together. All right. Who has the other one? Nobody got that one? I thought Nancy was. Oh, yeah. Go. Oh, okay. First Timothy 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And it goes on and on. That's getting into the leadership, into the polity. All these verses, if 
if you connect them, Acts 4, 14, 27, 18, 22, uh, chapter 20, verse 17, Titus 1, 5 through 11, it's, it teaches the leadership and the structure of what goes on in a church, the, the, primarily the leadership behind it, but we're going to get into that uh, next week. So this is an ongoing process. And another thing that is considered basic to a church, can you think of the two elements? It's on your, your handout. But it says basics is what is needed. Community is visible in. And so before I get into that, people would tell you that a Christian church is not a Christian church unless it has at least these two things. Now, some would say there's plenty more on top of this, that it must have. But without these two, there's very few denominations or any Christian churches that I know that wouldn't agree to these two. No, they can be called sacraments. But they're also called ordinances. They're ordained. ordained. Uh, and that's baptism and holy communion communion um, baptism symbolizes entrance into the body of believers who are one in Christ it's a sign and a seal same sort of thing with Holy Communion um, you partake of these these elements or these ordinances and it symbolizes Christ through whom we are all united together we're one and so wherever you go whether it's some other part of the world, um, some other part of town, some other denomination. If it's a Christian denomination, they're at least taking these two things into account. Now, people do different denominations, do baptism differently. They do communion differently. <laughs> but we're not going to discuss all the different ways you can do communion and baptism. Let's just leave it in the fact that they do baptism and they do communion. All right. So who is the church for? The local church is a congregation of believers who gather for worship, prayer, instruction, encouragement, mutual accountability, mutual accountability, and community with each other. Through it, believers invest time, and this is, goes to Garrett's point, his, his additional point, Believers invest time, energy, and resources to fulfill the Great Commission, reaching lost people and growing them, discipling them, if you will, into fully devoted followers of Christ. Um, and I would suggest that this is an area, um, and I'm quoting from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Um, if you're devoting yourself to that teaching and to that fellowship and you're doing communion and you're doing prayer and you're gathering together, you're also taking into consideration Jesus' final command called the Great Commission, and reaching out locally and globally to try to find other 
other folks and expose them to the gospel. Right? And if you're not, I would suggest to you, if you, again, going back to our original premise of what a healthy church is, and this is a big one for me, if a church is not supporting or not encouraging, however you want to phrase it, is not uh, promoting and producing efforts in the Great Commission, then I would suggest it's probably not a healthy church. And the more it does, this is Randall speaking, this is my value, my, I'm putting the qualification on this, the more I can do it, because I just, I, I, I just started it. <laughs> I can do it, because um, I'm putting it in quotes. I would suggest that the more a church does that, as well as some other things, then the more healthy it is. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. We're going to cover part of this again um, in the next, in, in part two of this study. So there's a lot of things that we haven't covered, and we will cover those real specifically. We're not going to do a little, a little study within the study. We're going to go down that list of the seven things that make a healthy church. We've already kind of touched on them. But I wanted you to understand the basics of what what a church is first. Oh, I almost left one thing out. And Do you I'd, want to read this next one? Yes, that's the part I almost left out, and I don't want to really leave that out. We believe in the autonomy of the local churches, the self-directed or self-governing of the local church. When I say we, who am I talking about by we? <laughs> well, no, not everybody believes in the local autonomy uh, of, a, of a church. So when I say we, put quotes around we. Uh, yes, and, and, a, and a lot of the books that I've read, a lot of the people that I subscribe to, again, this, this touches on controversial um, to a certain degree, but... Um, and it's on, I think I put that on your sheet, right? A bunch of verses. Mm -hmm. Did I not? Yes. But for anybody out in podcast land who might by chance listen to this, I would suggest they look at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Acts 15, 19 through 31. Acts 20 through 20 and 28. Chapter 20, verse 28. Romans 16, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and 16. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 7, and 13, and 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And we just don't have time to go through those verses in our sitting. I guess we could do one. Somebody pick one. Which one would you like to pick? 1 Corinthians 5. All right. Pick 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 7. See how fast Nancy gets to that. So when you are So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, 
whoa, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Okay. That's not uh, a verse you'll hear preached on Sunday very much. Um, because <laughs> it's a correction. Um, Well, it, well, okay, you could say it's a final form of church discipline. You are. And, and that's why you, I, I think there's several weaknesses in the bigger body of Christ and in the local churches. One of them is discipleship. Uh, and I think one of them is, um, um, what's the discipline. word, discipline or correction. Uh, it just doesn't happen. I think pastors, maybe I've better. Bye.